Welcome to GeoInteresting, presented by the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Lately, we've heard a lot about taking bigger risks in technology to create innovative products and processes, a trend supported by the success of tech startups. One particular federal organization leading this charge is the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, or IARPA. IARPA aggressively pursues ideas that are potentially disruptive to the status quo. It's known for its groundbreaking research and development to address relevant future needs across the intelligence community. At this year's GEOINT Symposium in San Antonio, we sat down with IARPA's Deputy Director, Dr. Stacy Dixon, to talk about her work at IARPA. She talked with us about her efforts to advance careers in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, how she defines success across the workforce, and her predictions for the future of the IC. Before landing at IARPA, Dixon was an NGA employee, serving as Deputy Director of the Research Directorate. She was responsible for overseeing geospatial intelligence research and development for the agency. Stay tuned for GeoInteresting. As a woman in STEM, what have been some of the challenges you've had to overcome, and how can we encourage more women to participate in STEM? So the first thing that happens when I enter a room is I, I do a scan of the room. And as much as I try to turn it off, it's, it's really hard. It's just, it's the first thing you look around and you say, who else looks like me? And um, in many ways, there are a lot of people who don't look like me in, in a lot of the rooms that I'm in now. And not that it's intimidating or not that it's, uh, there's any judgment behind it. It's just a natural thing that you do, just to kind of you know, look around and see who's there. So it hasn't been discouraging. I haven't let it stop me from being in a place. I just know that in many places I go, I'm going to be representing either my gender or my race or the combination of the two. Um, I think it makes you appreciate when you do see other women in STEM, at, at especially senior levels, that others have done it before you. And, and you know that in theory, and you know that there are some who've succeeded and, and rose into the tops of the ranks. You don't always get to be in the room with them as you're walking through and, and, and working your way up the ladder. It hasn't been as discouraging, though. It's, it's been, I've, I've found that I can partner with anyone, I can work with anyone, and so I've had the opportunities, and a lot of male colleagues have been extremely supportive. And in fact, um, I think men, the men that I've worked for and with and the women that I've worked for and with, I owe them as much, um, I owe them as much appreciation and, and credit for getting me to step into new roles. Oftentimes it's your peers who see you at your best and your worst, but they see you at your best and they know what you can accomplish and when they know what you can apply your skills to. So even if you personally aren't necessarily ready or don't think you're ready for something, they may convince you otherwise. They may ask you and recommend that you step up to an opportunity. So despite the fact that there aren't still a lot of women in STEM, that I get to interact with within the intelligence community especially. Um, it's nice when you do see them, and it's nice to be able to help those that are coming up behind, uh, giving them something that they can sort of aspire to. It's something that I take very seriously. And I, I think that applies, like, not just within STEM, but just everywhere, just having those people in your career and just encouraging you to lean in and encourage you to step forward. Absolutely. That's I awesome. call it the, the positive peer pressure. <laughs> That's great. Um, from your vantage point as the Deputy Director of IARPA, what sort of tech trends are you observing for the IC? So for us, I think we're looking at two areas in particular, a lot more artificial intelligence. There's already been a lot of investment in the area, but with the, um, the existence now of so much annotated data that's out there and the increase in the compute power, 
I think we're only beginning to see what we're going to be able to achieve with those in that particular field. The other side of it is about biology and synthetic biology and the, uh, the research that's brought us to the point where we can do gene editing and what impact that's going to have in the future. I don't think we've, uh, you know, aside from sort of, you know, scary sci-fi movies, I don't think we've really come to appreciate all that's going to be touched by those particular disciplines. And the two together, where you're bringing in the machine learning, um, in addition to the synthetic biology, I think that that combination is going to be something that's going to be pretty amazing. Wow. Recently, we interviewed Vince Cerf, who talked about the importance of taking risks. And you've also encouraged the next generation to try the unexpected, to lead to great experiences and opportunities. Can you talk more about the importance of taking risks? How have you seen the community change in that regard over the course of your career? I think there are, there are times when it's easier for agencies to take risks and there are times when it's really hard. When budgets are tight, it's harder. But those are also when sometimes taking those risks provide the opportunities to allow you to do more than you ever thought possible. There's a growing appetite, I would say, for risk taking. Um, the question is, do we see it demonstrated? You know, if someone takes a risk and they fail, what happens to them? What happens to their career? What happens to their program? What happens to their, uh, the confidence that the agency has in them? And uh, it kind of goes, that, that's probably the one thing where I, kinda, I watch it. I, I hear more people talking about risk than I necessarily see. And this isn't in particular to NG. I think this is in general with really any business. We all talk about the fact that we want people to take risks and we want them to try things and we want them to fail early. And then there's this sort of penalty for it as well. So the, the goal is to not have the penalty. Um, at IARPA, we definitely try to encourage risk and, and we are having the conversation about, well, let's, if we're gonna fail, let's fail fast. Um, just so that we can divert the invest investments to something else. And that means that we look for positive lessons even when we aren't able to accomplish the goals and milestones that we've set out uh, for whatever reason. And generally speaking, you know, we, we set milestones that are very challenging and we may not reach them. We may still discover some things along the way that are very useful for the community, very useful for the scientific discipline. And while it's a failure because we didn't set out to, we didn't accomplish the goal that we set out to accomplish, it's still a success because we're, something was able to be useful. So I definitely see, um, personally in my career, the risk taking has been about being able to step out into those opportunities, uh, not being afraid to kind of shake things up and let go of the comfort of you know going to the same place that you know where you know the same people and knowing that you can be successful in other environments, you can be successful in other agencies and other disciplines and other fields and other you know, whatever, what have you. Um, it gets harder as you get older, but it is something that has helped me to get unique skill sets that I can add to my own personal portfolio that I don't think I would have had or it certainly would have taken me a lot longer amount of time to get those same skills if I could manage to get them in the same place. Um, how has that diversity of experience informed your career? So part of, part of the way it's informed it is being able to be successful in so many different areas that were so unrelated makes you more confident that you can take on challenges that have nothing to do with each other. So that part of it has been really helpful in letting me know that I can really undertake any path that is provided in front of me. Just the, the opportunity comes there. I shouldn't be afraid to step out onto it because I've been successful in other things in the past and I can use those same skill sets going forward in the future. Specifically, I think all of those opportunities have helped me get to where I am today and I'm really leveraging a lot of those same skill sets now in this current job. Being able to 
be comfortable around the interactions with the Hill. Uh, that's one skill set that I think is extremely valuable and will continue to be for any government officer. It's helping now as we navigate the budget cycles. It helps as we try to gain advocacy for our programs. Um, so all of them individually. Working at the different agencies, when I started at CIA, one of the first things they tell you in the training is that you're an intelligence officer first. And I took that to heart. And being able to work at various agencies and really to be able to dedicate myself to the mission of those agencies is part of that initial indoctrination where I'm not specifically trying to make one agency better or really focus only on the one thing. I'm looking out for the broader community. And I think that the jobs I've held, as, in addition, as, as well as the rotations I've held, where I stayed at one agency but then was rotated to another, that's, been, uh, that's provided the same opportunity to really contribute to someone else's mission and learn more about the various missions within the community. What are some characteristics of a senior leader mentor that enable a creative workplace for innovative solutions? I would say in a creative environment especially, you need to allow people to have time to think about things that aren't necessarily the main thing that they're supposed to be working on. For example, we try to encourage our program managers to spend some time during the week thinking about new programs, new projects, um, which can be very difficult when you're on the timelines that you're on. You know, how do you carve out the time to think strategically, to think creatively, and it's really important to do those things. I think as the leaders of the organizations, we need to set those examples. Um, you know, close the door if you need to, walk around if you need to, you know, just sort of be in places where you're willing to take the time to ask questions and to encourage the kind of creativity and um, you know, what, if, what if scenario discussions that you know, don't always happen if you're on a tight timeline. Um, we, we talk about trying to find ways to sort of by process figure out how to make an organization more creative and innovative and I don't know that necessarily, but it's, there are some processes that I think can. Um, there is something, there's such a thing as being too rigid and trying to engineer creativity and so sometimes just sort of letting it happen is the natural thing and not being, not not rushing people to come to a solution, not rushing them to get to something that's practical, letting them kind of stay in that place where it's still about the what if for a little bit longer and then kind of guiding them to a place where it maybe it can come to something more practical later on. I think it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think time is the, the secret commodity of the Intel community. Um, it's something that we talk about all the time, giving more time to decision makers through intelligence analysis. Um, so it's really interesting because I completely agree, time allows you to be creative and then you have the time aspect of you've got to give um, people information yesterday. Correct. So um, what piece of advice would you give to someone considering a career in the IC? Come on in. <laughs> uh, really, it, it's, it is a community of great opportunities no matter where you end up. And the mobility that you have between the various agencies means that there's really no place to get bored. There are so many really interesting missions which at the end of the day are saving lives and making this country safer that I can't quite think of, uh, of a place to work where not only is the work really rewarding because you're able to accomplish a goal, but knowing that you're helping your family, you're helping your community, you're helping your country at the same time that you're doing really interesting things. I can't think of other places where you get to do both. 
So I would say come on in, you know, don't sort of be put off by the process to get into the community, uh, which can be a little longer than other jobs that, that, that may come along earlier. And you know, it is working for the government, so you're not going to become a rich person by doing that, but you'll be rich in your experiences. And in the long run, being able to look back, I don't think you would, I don't think I've met anyone that says that there's any regrets, that they regret not having, having come into the intelligence community. Um, and it's never too late, right? You can be in industry or academia and then decide to come in. And I would love to see more people going back and forth because there's a lot of ways to contribute to the community, even absent just working for the government on one side. Are you starting to see that at IARPA, a little bit more of the um, people coming in and the flexibility there between industry, academia, and government? I think places like IARPA are sort of made for that because people are on, uh, they're on term limited positions. They're there for three to five years, and we want to bring in, the, bring in the best and brightest from wherever. So we bring some in from government agencies, some in from academia, some in from industry. Um, people come from all sorts of different backgrounds. It'd be nice to figure out how to do that in the traditional agencies as well, to take more advantage of some of those hiring tools that are out there that are a little more creative and flexible, um, and even just making it easier for someone who leaves the intelligence community on the government side to come back you know, after they've spent some time out in another environment. What is one thing people would be surprised to learn about you? I'm, I come off as very conservative, but I'm actually pretty adventurous. Um, you know, I enjoy doing things sort of in spare time, like zip lining, trampoline. Um, you sort of name the, the sport that's a little bit off the beaten path. As long as it doesn't involve bungee jumping and falling, I'm good. Uh, but I enjoy trying things that are a little bit different, whether it's experiences or foods, um, traveling, going to different countries. You know, one of my favorite things, as strange as it sounds, is to go into the grocery store in different countries. You learn so much about a country by just sort of seeing what products are available for the population to purchase and you know, hearing the languages and, and tasting the foods. And um, so it's probably the adventurous side because I think at work I, am, I do come off as a lot more conservative than I really am deep down. Well, I can definitely validate your adventurous side because I think I've seen a picture of you upside down on a zip line before. Uh, there's so. the zip line picture, there's the trapeze picture. Yes, yeah. some of those are floating out there. Um, one final question. After hearing about some of the upcoming research projects on the horizon for IARPA, like Proteos, Amon Hen, and Morgoth's Crown, I've got to ask who comes up with IARPA's project names? So the program managers themselves come oh. up with the names, and um, it's, it's quite a feat of accomplishment to start with something and then come up with the acronym, because that's usually how it works out versus the other way around. And um, for some of the ones that you mentioned, we do have a, a contingent that's very interested in Tolkien. So there's a lot of Tolkien references for the Tolkien uh, fans out there. And others are just names that seem to make sense or names that they've liked and you know they'll find a way to make the program fit into the name. Um, but yes, they are very creative and it can be very difficult to remember all of the names as well as the acronyms to the names. So, uh, but you know, we, we try not to put too many constraints on that because it's something that they're gonna live with for three to five years. And so you want it to be something that they enjoy, not only talking about, but um, you know, they, they have a good origin story for how they came up with the whole project in general, and it's important to let them run with that. Well, I think that's one thing we can all agree on, more Tolkien acronyms in the IC. <laughs>
Well, if, if our program managers have anything to do with it, you will see more. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with our podcast. And yeah, I can't wait to see what more comes from uh, Dr. Dixon in the future. Thank you for having me. And uh, to the listeners, keep listening. These are uh, great opportunities to learn more about what's happening in the intelligence community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Geointeresting. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency creates greater decision space for warfighters, first responders, and national decision makers, presenting critical context and information to support U.S. policy and civil military operations around the world. Geointeresting is produced by the NGA Office of Corporate Communications. Don't miss an episode and start subscribing on iTunes or following us on SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening.